0: Extra time. Kiota and welcome to extra time. I'm Stephen Hewson. Joining us on the program today are Barry Guy, Clay Wilson, Brenton Van Nisselrooy, and a little later, Colin Peacock from Rnz Media Watch. Well, cricket dominates today's discussion. Black Caps batsman Ross Taylor chalks up his 100th Test That's this time against India. That's at the Basin Reserve, and in doing so, he'll become the first player to play 100 matches in each of the sport's three formats. The White fans, too, begin their quest for a world title when they play Sri Lanka in their opening T20 World Cup match this weekend. And is it the end of the road for radio cricket commentary? Well, Ross Taylor's had plenty of highs and lows during his 14-year international career. He's played 231 one-day internationals, 100 T20 internationals, but he rates his 100th test as the highlight of those. He sits at the top of New Zealand's all-time test-run scoring chart, He's scored 19 Test centuries, averaging over 46. He's just the fourth New Zealander to play 100 tests, joining former captains Stephen Fleming, Dan Vittori and Brendan McCullum.
1: A proud milestone. It's nice to be the first, but it's probably more timing uh, where I've come in my career. Um, you know, 2020 started in, what 2005, and, and I played my first game in 06. but um, no, it's, it's I guess nice to have start the club, but you know, I'm sure over, over a few years. Um, over the next few years there's going to be uh, a lot more to to join it in time How
2: have you been able to sustain
1: it? I love playing cricket first and foremost Um, it was something I've always wanted to do since I was a little kid and yeah I think it's not a job it's it's something that you love love doing and um, it's a few warm ups um, and and hopefully there's still a few more warm ups left in me
2: Nice to do it at a Premier New Zealand ground as well rather than outside New Zealand
1: Yeah I think so I think um, you know Growing up in, in Masterton, nice for for mum and dad and a lot of people who have been very influential in my career to just catch a train or, or drive over over the hill. Um, you know, the Basin uh, is one of the first grounds I've ever come and watch a cricket game at. So, you know, it has a lot of, um, you know, fond memories for me but, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's probably a, a nice time to thank people who have helped me along the way um, but at the same time, you know, there's still a still a game of cricket we played and... Um, I guess the the celebrations and and all that other stuff that comes with it uh, will will hopefully come off after the match. Did you ever see yourself getting this what Olympia career? No, I always sort of said to myself, I don't know what how long ago, but I always thought um, 20 2019 World Cup was not a bad not a bad place to sort of start thinking about that R word. Um, but no, I, st- I still feel like I'm I'm good enough and, and got a lot more to offer this team both on and off the field and um, and I'm still as hungry as ever to score runs but um, no, as I said, I, uh, after my first series I, I wouldn't have been putting much money on me playing 100 tests um, after that series, that's for sure but uh, no, um, no, I'm happier for what's happened today do you, do
0: you think back on those
1: early days much? Yeah, I think so, I think that that shapes you as a person and a, as a player um, sometimes it's the, it's not necessarily the runs you get um, and the good times—it's it's how you deal with the failures along the way um, that shape you, you know, as a as a person, as the way you go about your training, um, and as yourself as a as a teammate. And, you know that the, sometimes it's the negative things that um, make you harder and stronger and more resilient, and, and that's what you need to to be, I think, to be a a test player. If there
0: was any advice that, that Ross Taylor now would give young Ross Taylor, what might
1: it be? I got asked this question last night, so I better answer it the same as I answered it last night. Um, How I answered it last night for the BBC uh, was, um, I, I think it was, it was actually around my training. I think being as specific as um, as I am now at my training to where I was turning up to a net and just batting, um, you know, there's there's a lot more to, to cricket and, and the way you go about it, uh, you know, um, but at the same time it goes back to how I answered the question before. It's almost you've had to have failed a few times to work that out as well. So um, yeah. Train better but um, at the same time there's a lot of little steps along the way to get there. Some interesting comparisons if we
0: look at the likes of Fleming and McCullum compared to Taylor. McCullum scored twelve test centuries, Fleming nine. Uh, he's converted his starts to triple flig- figures. This is Fleming with his 900s going to 46 50s. has got 31 50s. So Ross Taylor's got quite a strong uh, return when it comes to getting to that 50 then going on to centuries. But do we end- underestimate what the importance of Ross Taylor's contribution to the Black Caps has has been? Clay? if we start with you, general thoughts on Ross Taylor and just the, this milestone, I suppose... It, 35 or so, he's been on the scene a long, long time.
3: Well, when I think about it, I think back to when Ross Taylor first entered the Black Caps and he came in, of course, as that very talented, powerful, exuberant young player. And I think at that point, to predict he would have played 100 test matches, probably for a lot of people would have been a stretch. I think the way he played, um, looking at him playing 100 one-day internationals or a lot of one-day internationals and a lot of T20 cricket for New Zealand was probably feel a fairly safe prediction, but to say he would have played hundred Test matches, and I think that's the biggest thing you can say about Ross Taylor and this achievement is the way he's evolved and developed his game to become a test player. Of course, their relationship with Martin Crowe played a big role in that. Um, you know, putting a focus on Test cricket and putting some milestones and goals in place that he's been able to work towards. And really test cricket has I mean, his one-day record has been brilliant, but Test cricket, he's really become a mainstay in that that middle-to-top order alongside Kane Williamson and previously the likes of Brendan McCullum. So I, I think the fact that he's got to 100 Test matches and just the fact that he's the first player to get to triple figures in all three formats says a lot for how he's been able to develop and keep working at his game and continually become a better player.
0: It's quite obvious, too. The hunger's still there, isn't it? And that's at 35, given how much cricket international players do play these days. It, it's quite uh, quite amazing.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, he's had that retirement question quite a lot in the last sort of year to 18 months. And he doesn't, I wouldn't say he bristles, but there's certainly a sense of, hey, you know, like, I'm I'm not ready. And he's been willing to talk about it. But even when he was asked about it this week, you know, he's saying, you know, I still feel fit. I still feel like I can contribute. And the numbers suggest that, you um, you know, you especially look at the one-day format, what he's been able to do there. I think second only to Barack Coley in one day as in the last three or four years. So the numbers alone suggest he's, he's got enough, I guess, if he can stay fit. And as long as no one else busts through, and there's no one really smashing the door down to take that number four spot off him, there's no reason why he can't be around for at least another two or three seasons. And he's talked about the 2023 World Cup. Well, it's not completely out of the question yet.
0: Barry, guy, you're at a, a gloomy Basin Reserve uh, for the the first test against India. Uh, Ross Taylor, he's had a fair few ups and downs, hasn't he? I suppose the the most obvious being losing the captaincy, and, and the way that he's bounced back from that is possibly a, a measure of, of of who he is.
4: Yeah, uh, that's exactly right, Stephen. I, um, you know, it was a tough time for him, and it was a difficult time. But you got to give him credit for the way that he went through that and just continued to do what was really perhaps his main job, and that was to be a batsman. I also there was that period too, <laughs> where he had the operation on his eyes. You know, he I can't remember what the actual term was that he uh, had for it, but it was like lasered, and all of a sudden it appeared that he could see properly again and he just started scoring runs and he's never stopped scoring runs it seems since that time and that's why he's had such a longevity in the in the squad I think is that his batting just continues to talk uh for him and uh, there is no reason that he would uh, never be selected
0: Brenton y- your thoughts on Ross on, on Taylor I mean I suppose a concern that, that doesn't seem to be anyone putting their hand up to to say oh, I'm, I'm floating around to replace him either does he
5: No, I suppose there doesn't. I do think he's been very much underestimated throughout and underappreciated throughout his whole career, especially when he's up, you know, Kane Williamson bats in front of him in all forms of the game, and he will go down as New Zealand's greatest ever. Batsman, uh, obviously with his mentor being Martin Crowe, who is so often compared to Martin Crowe in the early stages of his career because it looked like that was the the record he was going for and he made it so uh, much about his career that he was trying to chase down Martin Crowe. So, yeah, I think we haven't quite uh, valued uh, Ross Taylor in the respect we probably should because I think once the careers, everything's all done and dusted, he is going to be... Up there, he's. Uh, I think Kane Williamson will ultimately pass him as far as runs scored for New Zealand, but he'll be a clear second. And I, I don't know if there'll be anyone in quite some time who will get near what Ross Taylor has been able to do for the New Zealand cricket team. Uh,
0: I suppose too, Ross Taylor varies uh, under. Uh, I suppose his character—he's mm. very well laid back, very uh, understated, as the word I was really looking for. He, he's not—he's not exuberant. He's not—you know—he's he, not one to seek the limelight.
5: No, he's not. And that I think is why we we do love him as well. He is a, he is a classic Kiwi sportsman, isn't he? He's a very humble character. Uh, I suppose when you compare him to someone like a Brendan McCullum, certainly not that that brash kind of character but just alluding to or just going on to what clay was talking about earlier it's quite incredible that he's reached 100 tests because when he started he was a 2020 superstar you know he was one of the big money picks when the ipl first started and and now he doesn't even get an ipl contract and now he's struggling to keep his place in the t20 team and he's been previously dropped from the t20 team but No one's ever said that about Test cricket. There's never, pretty much once he started,
0: he was never in danger of losing a spot in the Test team. It's been quite remarkable. I suppose, harking back to the the captaincy issue, I mean, I I was quite interested in a comment that Virat Coley made about Ross Taylor, because they they did play together briefly in the the IPL, that he said that uh, Taylor's very much a student of the game and a big thinker on the game. I suppose that's possibly something that didn't come through when Taylor was captain, and, and I don't think there were too many quibbles. Uh, that McCullum replaced him as captain. It was the whole process around the, the handling of that saga. But that was sort of interesting to hear, uh, I suppose, from Coley that uh, he, he sees uh, Taylor as a, a quite a, a astute uh, thinker on, on the game.
5: Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think with him, I don't think he's that natural captain I think he is more uh, a number two or just being a senior leader within the team and an important team guy but yeah I think what was a pretty messy time in New Zealand cricket history I think ultimately the right decision was made then and I think you know when everything is finished and the end of his career he'll probably look back and that it's probably a good thing that he was removed from the captaincy. And I think he's far more comfortable in that role as a, as a senior player within the team without that, I suppose, added responsibility.
4: I think what uh, Taylor, one of his main reasons for being there is that he plays all three formats of the game. And that's why he is such a leader. And there is no doubt that he plays a big role on the on the field, uh, supporting Williamson and, you know, advising and that sort of thing and being that sort of steadying ship. But... I, th- I think at, at his age and there aren't that many cricketers around that uh, command their place in all three formats of the game and he continues to produce in all three formats and is a natural pick that, um, he, you know, again, there, are, there, are, there is no reason why he should uh, be even looking at retirement in the next year or so unless for him he feels that uh, he doesn't have too much to offer. But at this stage, he's still got everything to offer.
0: I think it was interesting, he made his test debut around 2007, which I'm pretty sure was around the same same period that Alistair Cook, former England captain, made his yes. test debut. Now Alistair Cook retired, well, at least a year or so ago, but Cook has played, played something like 166 tests, and now Taylor's only bringing up his 100. So uh, also, I, I suppose, a reflection there of just how few tests New Zealand play in comparison to, to, to the, the, the bigger nations. Now, one of the people who did have a major impact on Ross Taylor's career was Wairarapa farmer and former Central District's batsman Dermot Payton. Payton spent hours helping a young Taylor hone his game. And reflecting on his role in that success, Payton admitted to Clay Wilson he never expected he'd go on to reach such heights.
2: Look, I probably never understood at the time that he was going to be this good. But for a young player, I never had to tell him how to hit the ball in the middle of the bat he did it naturally and he did it every time so that is quite special because when they start off they don't always do that and I'm sure I never did but he did it every time he played a shot he hit the ball in the middle of the blade so yeah he's quite special really.
3: What about his personal qualities what was he like back then and do you see things in him now that he had back then that have helped him go on to do something like this because it obviously takes a lot of Uh, hard work and dedication to get to a point where you're achieving these kind of
2: things? Look, to be honest, I don't know how you measure that, but, you know, he's obviously been self-driven and um, he's applied himself. He's had some difficult times. Uh, He was thrust into captaincy and then thrust out of it and um, that was an awkward time for him, but he got through that. I I think he's probably been driven by the game. The game sort of has... um, he's enjoyed playing the game and he's good at it and that's probably, he doesn't want to leave it either and, and that's great because I think, I think to be honest with you, I think he's getting better and better.
3: Watching from afar, how have you most seen him change or develop, not just as a
2: cricketer but as a, as a person as well? I think he got off track a bit when he first started to play first class because he it became a bit of a slogger and um, annoyed me because I always believe a good cricket shot out piece a slogger and that's when he became more important in the New Zealand scheme of things. And uh, Martin Crowe got, got Kelly with him. And um, that was a major turning point for him because he got him playing straight and through the covers and um, being more selective and just generally growing into the game, so to speak. And of course, you know, history proves that because he just went from strength to strength. And he still, you know, as the game goes on, he's still growing with it.
3: Do you still get satisfaction from the days you worked together with Ross when you see what he's doing now, when he's gone past Martin Crowe's record? And
2: Yeah, it's immensely satisfying to see how well he's done. And um, I have probably one claim to fame, I would say, and it was the very early days of 50 over cricket then. And uh, we practised quite a lot of picking the ball up outside the off stump and planting it over midwicket at six. And um, the other day when we beat there in that first game, he did that on several occasions when they desperately needed it. In those early days, I mean, it was literally a slog, really, but they call it the slog sweep now. And, um, but that was quite innovative thinking, I, well, I think myself, in those days. And I said, there might only be two balls in the game, and those two have got to go over the midriff of sits, and it just might break the shackles. And I remember saying to him quite clearly... The ball's outside our stump. It's not going to bowl you. Plant it over mid with it. They won't have anybody out there for you because you're playing straight and through the covers and things that will just take them by surprise. So uh, when I saw him doing that repeatedly, uh, (laughs) I might add it did feel good.
0: The New Zealand women's cricket team are hoping to reverse recent fortunes at major tournaments when the 2020 World Cup gets underway in Australia this weekend. Across both the One Day and T20 formats, the White Ferns have reached the semi-finals at just one of the past five World Cups. Among the key names wanting to change that, to star batters Sophie Devine and Susie Bates. Susie Bates told Clay Wilson contributions from others on the side, though, will be crucial to any New Zealand success.
6: We obviously know batting at the top of the order, and um, it's really important that one of you know, the top three or four go on to score a, a big score, but I think this whole preparation and our training and warm-up games has been finding out who in that middle order is going to give us um, the best opportunity to win this one, because it's going to um, rely on more than a couple of batters. We're going to need you know, our top five and six firing.
3: I think it's been 10 years since this team's been in a World Cup final, and the last few world tournaments for the team haven't gone as well as you would have liked. How, if at all, has that impacted internally on your preparation for this event?
6: Um, Yeah, it hasn't really changed too much. I think just a few of us that have been around for a while were just really desperate to get back to that semi-final stage. Um, I think the last two 2020 World Cups, We've just missed out and I think you know if we, if we leave having not made it through to the next round we'll all be really disappointed and then there's that carrot of playing at the MCD in the final but it's a tough pull and we've just got to make sure that we turn up each game and it hasn't really changed how we go about it. I just think you know, a few of us are a bit more desperate to go that one step further. Hmm.
3: Looking at the other contenders, where do you think you guys sit and who would you see as the favourites for the tournament?
6: pretty difficult to look past Australia at home and um, the way they've been playing. So I think every team thinks they're the favourite and want to knock them off and be the team that beats them at home. Um, I think, you know, we've got a tough pull, but I think whoever out of, you know, India and Australia we can manage to beat, I think those will be the top two teams. So obviously a lot's got to unfold, but we know our second game against India and even our first game against Sri Lanka is going to be really key. So we start the tournament with some good momentum
3: this tournament's been going since 2009 now. The women's game has been steadily evolving. How have you seen this event progress since that first edition through to this event now and what you've had pre-tournament and what you expect from the tournament itself?
6: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a standalone event now. I think when we first started, the pool play was kind of held separately and then we joined up with the men for the semis and finals but it's completely standalone. I think that allows the ICC to really promote it and have its own window and Obviously, being in Australia, it's got a lot more profile than probably any other tournament has before. So, look, they're planning on selling out um, the MCG, which would be one of the biggest crowds ever for women's cricket. So, I think every player here wants to be a part of that, which is so exciting.
3: Sell out at the MCG, I bet that sounds pretty good to you.
6: <laughs> yeah, no, I <it's- laughs> A New Zealand vs Australia final sellout at the MCG would be great.
0: <laughs> That's White Ferns player Susie Bates there talking to Clay Wilson, the head of the T20 World Cup. New Zealand begin their campaign against Sri Lanka in Perth. <music> radio cricket commentary could become a thing of the past. New Zealand cricket and media company NZME have failed to reach a deal on radio broadcast rights for next season's international and domestic matches. The current deal expires at the end of April and does not affect the remainder of the summer's broadcast schedule on Radio Sport. RNZ understands the NZME had been speaking on to or seeking a five year deal, but New Zealand cricket felt given the changing media landscape that period was too long. Radio Sport's been broadcasting cricket for more than 20 years, and New Zealand cricket will now go to the market to see what other interest there is in picking up the broadcast rights. So will cricket commentary so much a sound of summer and the voices of the likes of Brian Waddle and Jeremy Coney be lost to listeners? We're joined now by Colin Peacock from RNZ's Media Watch. Colin, what's been the reaction to what could essentially be the end of cricket commentary in, in New Zealand on radio?
7: Well, I think a lot of people feel a bit blindsided by it. Uh, for example, the uh, morning report, uh, Warren Lees was speaking on that program, saying, "Look, this is it. You know, absolutely part of the furniture of the game." Um, I suppose also, if you if you like your classical music as well as your cricket, it's been a, it's been a rough fortnight or so, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the thing is, it seemed to take people by surprise. If you're thinking about just the ordinary punters out there listening to the radio sport Talk back just in the hours after the decision was made known by NZME. Um, A lot of upset about it, people who clearly feel that it's something uh, that they relied upon, people who move about, people who do things in the summer. Um, And Daniel McCarty of uh, Radio Sport was saying um, it's perfectly made for radio. And I think it is. He's right. It fills up a lot of airtime. It's very flexible. Um, So, yeah, people, I think, are really going to miss it. One interesting thing, though, from people who called in, a lot of them sheeted the blame home not to Radio Sport or NZME, its owner, but to New Zealand Cricket and specifically to uh, David White, uh, so the chief executive. And feeling that uh, that something's gone wrong here in the interests of fans and supporters hasn't been uh, fully addressed in this decision.
0: Well, I it comes on the back of the, the, the TV deal, doesn't it? They've moved the television commentary is going to go from Sky to Spark Sport. Uh, I suppose it's seen as another hit on what would maybe sort of traditional media.
7: Yeah, and that was something that also came across from some callers. I mean, look, you know, if if a match goes on for a day or days, as cricket does, uh, you know, streaming this on television uh, is tricky. So that Sky Sport deal not thrilling everyone. Some of the matches on TVNZ as well. Um, But, you know, the the radio would have been a real fallback for people in parts of the country that um, can't, get it, uh, streaming on, on if, the, if, if they want to follow it, streaming on television. Um, so, yeah, this will be a loss to them. And um,
0: It comes down to money, though, sure doesn't it? I mean, NZ I mean, they obviously feel they can't make a, make a buck out of it, otherwise they'd be sticking around.
7: Sure, and as was reported by RNZ Sport, it's understood that they wanted a five-year yeah. deal, uh, New Zealand cricket. Um, that line about, you know, the media landscape changing, I mean, that's interesting, because perhaps they're the ones changing the landscape, so they're prepared to play hardball, um, if that's not a mixed <laughs> metaphor, um, with uh, with the rights holders. So, yeah, breaking up with two long-term media partners is quite a bold thing to do. And, yeah, I think it does leave uh, the supporters out there high and dry. And because there's not, there's no other dedicated network for radio sport really, is there? Um, right. The other big radio company, MediaWorks, maybe they're minded to do something, but they don't have a natural place for it right now. Um
0: Five years is a long time, though, for a deal, isn't it? I I, I struggle to see that it'll disappear altogether. I've got to say, I I think you'll end up with something like a one-year deal, maybe. Yes. I mean, I struggle to see that it's going to disappear off the radio just, you know, overnight essentially
7: yeah very uh, possible that, uh, that some sort of shorter term deal to renegotiate those rights could yeah. happen uh, and that would keep people happy in the meantime but also uh, interested by the sort of media savviness of some people calling radio sports some of them were pointing out um that look you know there's the iHeart radio platform which NZME owns which is streaming audio from all sorts of places mm. you can listen to American sports yeah. stations and uh, and all sorts of sources there so some people saying well why not a deal for, you know, online rights for commentary and streaming. That that won't help people with bad internet, you know, or you know people who want to hear it in cars and, uh, and necessarily not adopters of the new technology maybe. But, you know, there are interesting options and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But um, one thing that I also found curious was Jason Winstanley of NZME, the head of talk, said we've been running this at a loss for a few yeah, years. Yeah. And I wonder how they really work that out because... You know, know, no one knows it's confidential what they pay for the rights. Um, However, if you are broadcasting it and people are coming to the station to listen, how do you then work out whether you've made a loss or a profit on it? Is it just the ads that you run while cricket's on the air? Divided up by the number of listeners, um, you know, I, I don't know quite how they work it out, and what then the cost will be to them of taking it out. You know, they they've talked about it as now an opportunity to run other sports, and you know, of course you've got to say that when uh, something uh, doesn't work out the way you want to in business. But um, you know, there could be a cost to them if they end up running other stuff that's not as appealing as um, you know ball by ball cricket.
0: Well, and I, I know that the word that's been floated around that, that that I've heard mentioned is a low ball offer from NZME on a five year deal. I mean, is NZME playing a game knowing maybe. That no one else is going to pick it up anyway.
7: Highly likely, but I mean, you know, to announce it as they did, taking everyone by surprise. There were no signals I was aware of that uh, that a deal couldn't be done. So I think by getting all the, the negative feedback they've had from from the punters and uh, you know the, the 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 outrage, well, outrage might be putting a bit strong, but the disappointment you know voiced by people like. Um, Uh, Grant Turner and Warren Lees, you know, these people that are really giants of the game and well-known to people and embedded in the administration not just, you know, great players from the past Uh, you know, I don't think that's the sort of publicity either party would have wanted.
0: Breton, thoughts on, I mean, the the, the media
5: landscape? Oh, I suppose the other interesting thing to point out as well is that Radio Hodaki have been doing things with the alternative commentary collective and they've been able to do that because Radio Sports had the broadcast rights, NZ Me's had the broadcast rights, so that will mean that will have to stop as well unless some other alternative agreement is reached here because that's the only way they were able to do that. I know that was a big, having worked at NZME, that was a big sticking point within Radio Sport that they felt they were annoyed that they paid for the rights and then Horaki almost got a free run at <laughs> things, you know what I mean? And able to pick up the comet trees without paying anything, where it was Radio Sport was in their budget, they had to pay all the money for it. So uh, other thing was is that cricket was usually the big bump in the ratings for radio sport. It would almost double the audience in summer because people would listen to so much of the cricket. So that's why this is just such a a massive surprise to me that this has come to that state. Interesting to see how much this is pushed by New Zealand cricket as they are seemingly trying to move away from traditional media, which I think is a bit premature because... Um, especially radio for cricket, all sports really has such a vital role to play because now most of our sport is a pay per view kind of, you know, pay TV kind of situation. It's unlike Australia, um, where so much of their big sports are on free to wear TV, it's not here. So radio has an even more valuable role to play. And, you know, I agree with a lot of what a lot of people were saying yesterday. Cricket, to me, is the ultimate for radio because um, you've got six balls every three to four minutes. Um, so formulaic there, but then you've got so much time to really paint the picture. A lot of other sports are too fast moving. You can't really paint the picture properly and for your listeners, but and cricket is absolutely perfect for it. And, you know, I, I don't think there's much better to listen in sport than cricket, uh, especially a test match, uh, listening to it on a su- Sunday, Saturday afternoon in summer.
7: Colin, one, Colin. one of the major, the, the first responses uh, to when NZME first announced this on Twitter, where well, their first followers to reply did say, This has major implications for fence painting and car washing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Colin, you might be able to maybe be better in, in, uh, to answer this. Is this a debate, though, I, I suppose? that because we're involved in the media that it becomes a bit in-house, it can be a bit of an issue. That said, we saw the backlash with concert the z Concert and the plans around that. Is it that sort of level or, or bigger?
7: I, 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 I think it very possibly is, um, although easier possibly to rehouse something like commentary um, than, you know, uh, I mean, r Concert, they were the only people oh, doing yeah. um, what, what, was, what was broadcast there. But um, I think... Part of it is, as you've talked about, that changing landscape, the realities of it, the punters know that. They know things are changing. But some are adapting to this and some aren't. It's also that problem of now people are going to have to find out where to get their sport and their coverage if it does become a streaming option. So now you've got TVNZ screening some games because of the deal with Spark. And so now you you need a kind of portfolio of, of subscriptions or media habits, whereas I think a lot of people out there just want their... They want all that done for them. They want one-stop uh, shot. You know,
0: I find that bad enough with my TV remote, trying to work <laughs> out where did I see this, and if I'm going, I just want to turn on, push the button, and it's there. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Maybe that makes me a Luddite, S- but there you Stephen, go.
4: Stephen, while we are all uh, lovers of cricket and listening to it and watching it, uh, I do think that uh, the audience that listens to cricket on the radio is shrinking, and it's not huge. Test matches, internationals, it may be a bit different. Domestic cricket, definitely. And, of course, uh, we're talking you know, a small number of very keen listeners. And, of course, when advertisers then look at that, they then see that, uh, you know, we're not reaching a great audience around the country on the radio that are listening to uh, cricket. And, of course, therefore, um, you're not getting your revenue uh, from advertisers for that. And, therefore, you've got to look at the numbers. And while we all think, perhaps, that it's uh, the greatest thing to do to listen during the summer, as I say, I do think that the audience is shrinking. I think also that cricket probably has to look uh, a lot of other sports now, of course, are looking after their own broadcast deals, uh, putting their own uh, coverage onto Facebook and that sort of thing. And uh, the domestic game, especially in New Zealand, I think has to go in that direction. And of course, the ABC have uh, cut right back on the amount of cricket coverage they're doing now. And I don't even think Sheffield Shield Cricket is making it uh, onto the radio in Australia anymore. So it is diminishing. And I do see it going on to other platforms as uh, definitely the way to go. But again, it's, uh, it's sad.
3: That's what I've seen suggested. And I wonder, um, Brenton spoke about it being a bit premature to to move away from the traditional forms. And I do wonder about that, but I wonder if New Zealand cricket are perhaps making something of their own um, online with with an app form, something like that. We've seen Cricket Australia doing a lot of that now, a lot of their own radio and uh, even... F- like film film coverage of domestic cricket and, and some international cricket some uh, international cricket so you wonder if the feeling cricket are perhaps moving in, the, in that direction thinking well we're not going to get a, a tra- traditional broadcaster we can start doing it on our own have full control and and then they they've, they can pretty much dictate how things come across And as, as the Broadcast landscape continues to change they'll be able to capitalise on that. Well
0: we'll have to stay tuned because that brings us to the end of Extra Time for this week. My thanks to Colin Peacock Brenton Van Nissel, Roy Barry Guy and Clay Wilson. On behalf of the Extra Time team I'm Stephen Hewson Bye for now.